You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Well, welcome to TFM's local books and comic show for Star Trek. I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as he is every single episode, the one and the only, Casey Pettit. How are you, Casey? I am great. Here to talk some more comics, and maybe we'll do a book review in there, too. But Yeah, maybe. Just excited. To, yeah. We were just talking on the other side of the page about uh, some Star Trek Picard, you know, living life large. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Yes. I don't know what else to say. Yes. No, I... Get us more novels. It, yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it is the, you know, it seems like it's the thing that every Star Trek fan that I've seen has been talking about uh, for, you know, the last 10 weeks. And, of course, now uh, what I see everybody talking about is not only that, but Star Trek Legacy. So, yes... Give us Star Trek Legacy uh, and, you know, maybe fill in some of those gaps uh, that of, of places where you could fill in with some information there uh, and some books. So I would love to see that. Um, you know, I want to ask you about that, Casey. And uh, before I ask the question, of course, just, you know, subscribe wherever you're listening. We love it. Uh, of course, follow us on social media at Trek FM on Twitter at Trek FM on Instagram or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. Of course, the listeners-only discussion group called the Babel Conference on Facebook that you can join just by typing Babel in there, and you can ask to join, and we can let you in. Uh, you can also find us at Trek.fm online, with every show that we're doing here in the network. And, of course, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash trek.fm, like Casey Pettit or Greg Rosier, who are associate producers of Literary Treks, and their contributions every month make sure that all of the shows here on the network can keep coming to you each and every week. So if you do like what we do, go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm and become part of the team. So this was not part of the outline or, or anything like that. But, you know, Casey, we're a books and comics show and bringing up the idea of them doing, you know, books and, you know, comics. We, we've already seen some comics, obviously. Uh, mm -hmm. for the Picard timeline. We've had books for the Picard timeline. I wanted to ask you what you think the possibility of actually getting, you know, books to maybe fill in some details, especially between seasons two and three, all of that kind of thing, maybe some other backstories, you know, the loss of the Enterprise E, those kind of things, uh, especially in light of the fact that it seems pretty obvious uh, as of this point they have not announced star trek legacy but it seems like it would be kind of ridiculous for them not to so with <laughs> that in mind the sense that they're going to be playing in this time period again um most likely what do you see the validity of of really having 
you know, a lot of material literature wise coming out. I think it would be a very good idea just because there there's so many gaps right now in in this timeline. I mean, we've got the whole 20 years between Nemesis and Picard. We got one book or maybe a couple of the books that took place during that time. And so there's a lot of stories that they could tell there that could not interfere with other stories that they want to tell necessarily. Because if they do a Star Trek legacy, they're not going to probably go back very far in time. We might see some flashbacks. We might see, we might get some uh, on-screen dialogue that says something that happened. But I think that the books and the comic books and the audio dramas and, you know, there's, there's a lot of different possibilities for them to tell some more stories that, like I said, don't interfere with what they might do in the future. And I think, you know, we've got a lot of great um, authors. We've got a lot of great comic book authors. We've got plenty of actors to do audio dramas. I mean, there's just so many different things that they could do and, and kind of almost do what Star Wars has done with their um, novel lines is, is kind of make a, a canon of mm-hmm. books and, and comics that can inform what they do on screen, but not necessarily, you know, be required reading for people. And I think that that would be an interesting way for them to go and sure. allow us to get more stories in that time. No, I, I definitely can't disagree with the, that thought process. And um, I, I think, you know, I, I saw um, somebody on, on Twitter that I follow um, that's also a, a, a listener and, and um, I can't remember who it was, but they, they were calling for the fact that they wanted, you know, more books and, you know, comics um, to, to fill in the gaps. And I think that we were, I think that we are going to get some, but I don't think it's going to be a lot. And the reason mm-hmm. that's the case is because uh, I think they're going to be very careful with the type of material they're putting out. Because even Star Wars is running into the problem that, uh, you know, books that they've had in their quote unquote canon book series have been overwritten by things that we get in live action um, and or animation. And so. And. As it should be. I mean, these are screen properties, you know, first and foremost. And so um, I'm always very trepidatious when you try to really uh, add, you know, quote unquote, canon material uh, and literature, because the problem is, is that when you're playing in the time period that you're writing in. I think it it really um, it, it's it's a difficult thing to do to tell a story that matters enough that people are going to be glad that they read the story while at the same time um not doing anything that would step on the toes of what you would hope to be able to do uh in um the future and on on a show especially in that time period so you know i i would say to me it seems like the story, uh, stories that would make the most sense would be something like the Enterprise E story. Uh, what happened mm-hmm. there? Uh, I think, you know, you're clearly not going to touch that 
uh, most likely in in live action. And so that's a story you should tell. Um, you know, I think uh, there's there's other stories you could tell. You could tell the story about how, um, you know, the Borg Queen and the Changelings meet. That could be an interesting comic series, right? Um, so there's things like that where – but again – I don't picture this being something we're going to get a ton of material from just because unfortunately that is just the way it works when you're, you're playing in these mediums. And I think it was maybe David Mack on one of our conversations with him where he said that it was somebody said that, you know, the licensors are going to want content out there relevant to what's currently airing. So when we have Star Trek Picard airing, we're getting Star Trek Picard novels. We got Strange New Worlds. We got, you know, Strange New Worlds novels, you know, and, and, you know, you're not seeing a lot of novels take place during the original runs of Next Generation. You're seeing some original series because that still sells, but you're not going to see a lot of Deep Space Nine books or Voyager books anymore just because those aren't as... I don't want to say relevant, but they're they're not current, you know, and so they want to they want right. to, you know, the the tie-in media is meant to sell what they're already putting out. So I could see them giving us um, a a Star Trek Picard novel or or something in the not too distant future, but once we get too far past it, yeah, I. I'm not holding out a lot of hope. I want those stories, but you know, I, I'd say IDW has a, a bigger chance of giving us those types of stories than, especially something like a novel, just because they can, you know, they're coming out with so many comic books that they can kind of put in these kind of special event, you know, trilogies or you know, short run series, right. and um, I think that's that's the most likely place that we'll see something like that. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously not going to be getting any books about the Enterprise G. Um, that's just not going to happen. So I'm sorry to burst anybody's bubble. Um, and, but, you know, <laughs> what they'll be doing is is they will judiciously be filling in places in the story that you could, um, you know, even, like you said, post-Nemesis, where, okay, how and where can we fill in this story that may bolster things um you know from the perspective of what we might see on screen um, but doesn't off doesn't detract at all from that either you know because there might mm-hmm. be you know again when you're thinking of doing the the star trek legacy series you're gonna want to be pulling from that time period's past to maybe build stories for the future, right? And so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, again, this is this is the tough part about this, but I do think we'll get some stuff, and I think that would, would be exciting. Um, and specifically, you know, more than anything, I would really love to, to get a book, you know, written by, like, John Jackson Miller, you know, uh, mm-hmm. James Swallow, David Mack, Una, anybody, right, that t- talks about, um, you know, what happened to the Enterprise-E you know, one of my absolute favorite enterprises. And so, um, and make that a really incredible story. And, and so, um, yeah, but, um, well, we, yeah, it's, it's one of those things like, uh, and I, 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 I don't, um, 
I don't want to be overly negative, but I also want to be, I feel like, really realistic to the situation as it actually is. Mm-hmm. So, Casey, we I do uh, have one prediction. You have, ooh, ooh, I love this. Okay, Casey's one I, prediction. I, yeah, sorry, this this just popped into my brain, and you can timestamp it. Are they're going to announce Star Trek Legacy? Then, as it gets closer, they're going to announce a novel. It'll be just like a Star Trek Picard novel, uh, starring Seven of Nine uh, under Captain Shaw on the Titan A. It'll be like a Seven of Nine adventure. So, like leading up into that series, and maybe get some Sydney. Okay. Yeah, uh, LaForge in there. So I, I, I'm just putting that out there because they kind of did a similar thing with uh, mm-hmm. Strange New Worlds yep. when when uh, the Enterprise War came out. It was really a really a Strange New Worlds prequel novel, and uh, so I don't know. I'm just I'm just putting that out there. I think that's a really good prediction and actually a fabulous yeah. idea. So uh, if you're listening, uh, Titan Books, you know you know who to pay for the idea. It's Casey Pettit. Um, yep. he'll, he'll give well, you his yeah. address. You, in fact, you've already got it because we get the, uh, the wonderful review copies of the books. So, yes. <laughs> well, we've got a ton of comics, uh, Casey. In fact, we have four comics we're going to be talking about. And first one up is Star Trek Six, which actually closes out the first part of this new ongoing series. And so I wanted to see, um, what you thought of kind of wrapping up this first part of the story, because after this, we're about to jump into uh, the crossover series with Defiant. Um, and mm-hmm. so how, how did this one go for you? This one, I mean, it was just kind of on par with the previous issues of this. It was, um, you know, a lot of character focus, um, Kind of very uniquely written, kind of sim- similar to the the previous issues. Again, the artwork was on point, and I, I gotta say, there was uh, one scene in here. I'm trying to find it on my iPad right now, but uh, right before um, Ben and Jake and uh, Beverly get saved uh, by the um, the Theseus, there's a, a very a scene very reminiscent of a scene in the last episode of Star Trek Picard with the Theseus like mm-hmm. right above them yes. <laughs> as they're right about to get beamed up. But I mean, yeah, I, I think once more they're you know I, I'm I'm hooked on this season, uh, on this series and I'm excited to see where they go with it. You know, I I liked the way in which you know this this first run here uh, has been all about. Cisco dealing with the ramifications of his choice to be one with the prophets. And this issue does such a great job of, of finally allowing Cisco to break free. You know, uh, it, I want to sing Queen. I want to break free. Uh, that's Cisco <laughs> here. And he does with actually the help of none other than Beverly Crusher who reminds him who he is, you know, before he was the emissary, just as a man, as a father. And it is that relationship which that spurs something really interesting, um, which she's made the second officer of the Theseus here um, because he really appreciated her command ability. He really appreciated her ability to call him out, which, you know, Cisco, in that way, 
is a little bit unlike Picard in the sense that he is a really strong personality, a really strong will, and I think more than a lot of other captains, he actually likes to be challenged, you know, mm-hmm. and so that whole thing was great. And and then, you know, to see them be able to create a first contact situation out of this God city uh, instead of going to war with it and be able to wrap up this part of the story, but also, you know, lead us into what's going to come next. I thought it was great. So um, and, you know. One of the criticisms that I've heard of about this comic is just, you know, it's so outlandish, but this is legitimately as comic booky, comic like storytelling that you're going to get with Star Trek. I mean, we are legitimately doing the Avengers team up um, and it's and, and and the storytelling in many ways is comic book over the top. So. Knowing that, I think I've appreciated the way in which they're telling the story uh, because, to me, it works. Yeah, you do kind of have to set aside what you've seen on TV or even read in the novels because, you know, I wouldn't say this is quite gold key comic level, but you do get some of that, yeah, like you said, over the topness in their in their dialogue and just in the things that are happening. And, you know, you, you do kind of have to you know, suspend some disbelief on, on comic books in general, just because they're doing things that they generally can't do or, or just won't do in TV. And, you know, I, I agree. I think that helps me with these comics too, is just to, to kind of step back and go, you know what, this is a fun story. It doesn't need to fit in anywhere specifically. Like, you know, this doesn't need to, and it won't tie in with Star Trek Picard or anything like that. So, Knowing that, you know, I can just kind of sit back and have a fun story to read and see what kind of crazy hijinks they get into in the future issues. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, And so to me, I I mean, I highly recommend issues one through five of this series. I think it's been pretty fantastic. Um, The the next comic that we have uh, is Defiant Part Two, which is continuing that section of the story, Casey. And what's interesting Mm -hmm. is like the first issue of Defiant, this issue actually travels back in time a little bit to get us where we end up at the very last page of issue one, which is to actually tell us the story of them going to find lore and, uh, you know, capture him. And then to move the story forward where they're now hot on the trail of what's going on with Kalos and trying to figure out where he is. Yeah, this is just another story that's it's got that over-the-topness to it. And, and what's actually kind of fun, I think, about this one, too, is it's got Belana Torres in it. And, you know, Tom Paris, her husband, is in the, you know, ongoing Star Trek issues. So it's kind of fun to see them both in these but you know i i actually like i think the artwork too and in this one better than the star trek ongoing series just like the characters look a little bit more like themselves it's it's a little bit more towards the realism but um again you're still getting those kind of outlandish stories here too but um seeing this particular group of people coming together um is 
it's pretty interesting seeing, you know, somebody like Roe and Torres interact, both former Maquis, uh, you know, with still different kind of um, perceptions on things, I guess, uh, you know, that where they're kind of almost bickering with between each other. Um, but still having to come and work together. And then you have Worf, the warrior in charge, and you got Spock there who, uh, you know, he's prone to some cowboy diplomacy. And so he, he kind of almost fits in, you know, with this too. And, um, I, I think we'll get a pretty interesting story. And I'm wondering how, you know, we'll kind of weave in between Defiant and the Star Trek ongoing. Mm-hmm you know, the stories together, if like they'll eventually kind of totally split apart and do their own thing, or is Defiant going to go away or, you know, what's, what's going to happen. So I'm very intrigued by the series so far. And, um, it's another one I definitely think people should pick up. Yeah, I agree. Uh, You know, I, I think what, what I do as well find interesting about this story is, you know, it feels like, the ongoing series but like you said it also has its own feel and that's because you know Worf is in charge here and you know things are a little bit more by the seat of your pants and of course mm-hmm. the, the the crew that he's assembled here is a bunch of ne'er-do-wells uh for the most part and <laughs> um so and and they're all breaking the law by having stolen yeah. the Defiant. So they are a bunch of ne'er-do-wells <laughs> and thieves. Yeah. And so it's yeah. it's it's great. And uh, like you said, I, I think the art is really good here. I, I'm, I'm really enjoying the art. Um, again, I like the way it just differentiates itself from the, the Star Trek uh, ongoing. And I, I think it looks good. So, no, I'm right there with you. I've, I've really enjoyed um, this this two issues so far and i'm excited to see um them connect together as we begin to uh do that crossover so i think that's going to be great um Mm -hmm. the the third comic we have is the illyrian enigma number four um and this is actually the finale of this series which i'm very interested to see what you think of this especially since we wrap up the story and we give an answer for the story um, and mm-hmm. we, we have an answer, but it doesn't actually lead to Una being released. Yeah, which, I mean, could kind of see that coming since they left that on a cliffhanger, you know, at the end of last season. And we were just talking kind of uh, just a little bit ago about how you know, we're not going to have comic books that are required reading, you know, before you go into season two. You don't want to end on the cliffhanger of Una being arrested and then just have her show up on episode one. You know, that's a that's a lower decks kind of thing that you would do is just not explain somebody coming back. Um, this one, I I was a little bit. I. I I really like this story overall, but I really want to see where it goes in the show. This last issue probably wasn't as strong, I guess, as for me, um, as the previous issues, just because it was, it was kind of a lot more just talking and kind of concluding on everything that had happened in the previous 
um, issues. We do find um, kind of the the Vulcans' involvement in the in the Illyrians, uh, you know, kind of genetic makeup. And then we're basically told, okay, don't say anything about that because, you know, like the Illyrians, that's their history. And so now we're like kind of just left where we were at the beginning with it just with a little bit more knowledge that we can't do anything with. So it was a little bit, um, like I said, I don't want to say it was a letdown because it was still still a decent story and a good good kind of conclusion with a somewhat of a cliffhanger to the series. Mm-hmm. But and I, don't, I don't know, it just didn't do it for me as much as the other ones did. I think that you're right on track with that because I think the thing that we were so surprised about this series was is the fact that it was actually telling what seemed to be a pretty substantial story in the comics and then it pulls the, oh, well, we're really not going to tell you anything important um, or do anything Mm -hmm. important because we can't do anything important. And that is... To be expected, as you mentioned, but and it, and it is interesting. I mean, the the revelations I did find interesting, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. idea that you know, uh, in the past, before Sarok's teachings had really taken hold there on Vulcan, um, the Vulcans had been going out into space and basically playing God with other species. Um, <laughs> you know, they even mentioned the idea that they thought of themselves more as gods compared to the Illyrians, and their experience go horribly wrong with them and lead to their decimation of their planet. And yet the Illyrians then take those ideas, and then that's what enables them to become people who can genetically engineer themselves, and they don't do it for any other reason than to stay alive. In the same way Mm -hmm. that, you know... um. I always thought it was interesting in, in Enterprise, of course, the Denobulans also do some genetic engineering on themselves as well. So um, it seems a little bit strange that actually isn't brought up at all <laughs> in the idea with the Illyrians <laughs> that, yeah, we have a whole other species that's been a part of uh, our lives since the time of Archer. And uh, anyway, but no, I'm I'm with you in the sense that, yeah, we are unfortunately kind of left in a place where now we've got to see what they do with season two, which is coming out in June. So we, we don't have too long to wait. I think overall the series is good, but I I'm with you in the sense that yeah, issue four becomes a slight letdown because it doesn't feel like it has as much weight as the series did up until this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it almost seemed like they just, they almost needed to take this a little bit further. Well, one of two things, I guess. Take it a little bit further, give us a little bit more, and have one more issue that leads, like, right into the opening episode of season mm-hmm. two. Yeah. Or they could have added a couple pages of this kind of um, flashback, mm, kind of yeah. this uh, eureka moment to the previous issue and kind of ended it there. Rather than taking, you know, 27 pages or however long it is to basically do conference room scenes and a little bit of flashback and put the toys back on the shelf, you know, like, um, so, I mean, I I think the, as a whole, the Illyrian Enigma is still worth reading for people, especially as they lead into the new season. Um, 
but it it does remain to be seen. I mean, I'm I think I'm very excited for the next season. Um, I don't think they're going to drag it out too long when they only have ten episodes per season, right? Um, but you know, I, I'm really hoping that this does kind of help shed some light on whatever they do in the show. Yes, me too. No, I I completely agree with you. And I, you know, in some ways, I do think it will. You know, I think the the seven comic that we read prior to season three uh, allowed mm-hmm. us to be able to have a little bit of her story and her struggle as moving towards the idea of being back in Starfleet. And of course we know how that played out now. Um, she's the captain of the enterprise. So uh, it, it, <laughs> it, it did fill in a little bit of that uh, thought process for that character. And so uh, obviously I think this is going to be the exact same um well, mm-hmm. our last comic is our first issue of Deep Space Nine, The Dog of War, which is taking place after the Federation has reclaimed Deep Space Nine. And yet we know, unfortunately, that um, the Federation is having a very tough time here and their losses are continuing to mount. And so... Uh, what did you think of this story um, and the fact that everybody loves this dog? Well, I mean, who wouldn't love the dog, first of all? Unless you're um, allergic, I, I, but, you know. Well, you know, I suppose. Nobody in the comic was allergic. I, I almost think Quark, of all people, would have been <laughs> the one who's allergic, especially since he yeah. was stuck with the dog. <laughs> but no, I think this, I, I was... I was pleasantly surprised by this one because, you know, when we saw the lead up to this or just the announcement of it and kind of the, you know, the little blurb we got about it when they announced it, it was, I was a little unsure how I felt about just this, you know, if we're going to revisit Deep Space Nine, let's do it right. And um, I actually think they're on the right track here. The, the dog's kind of an interesting piece of it, and I'm really interested to see where they take that, but... We also get some um, kind of depth with Cisco when they find this Borg tech and realizing that he still has a lot of uh, trauma from, you know, even even after the events of Emissary and him kind of realizing that he mm-hmm. lives in the past, when he encounters this Borg tech, he kind of has some moments of that too. And um, right. you know, just so, some deep moments there with some levity, you know, with Cork and the dog and Vic showing up, which is cool to see him in the comics. But, um, you know, I, I think it was actually a, a decent start to what might have been a pretty off the wall thing that they're doing. Yeah. And right now it seems like a maybe fairly straightforward story that they're about to tell. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really enjoyed this one as well. I, I was also surprised as to to where we decided to go with it and you know the idea of there being this borg tech that could possibly help them find a way to um, get one up on the dominion was fascinating and 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 to watch cisco be able to deal with this you know especially after his experience with the borg i thought was fascinating you know and we sometimes forget that that he had such a harrowing experience with them and has a very personal stake against anything Borg because of it, um, just as much as Jean-Luc does, really, right? And mm-hmm. so uh, I thought that that was awesome to do. 
And I think it was also great to see the way in which, you know, very Cisco-like, okay, if we're going to test whether or not this is something that could actually work, I'm taking it upon myself, which, you know, is something Mm -hmm. that, again, um, is very Cisco. So I, I, and I also thought it was interesting too that, you know, the, the insertion of a dog here for these characters in a time when they are all suffering, I actually thought was a really, it, it, it is a strangely fortuitous event for them because it's bringing joy to their lives in a way that um, they didn't expect in a time when there is very little joy. So I, the the whole idea with the dog here actually worked way better for me than I actually thought it would because of that. And so I'm very excited to see, you know, where this story goes because right now what their desire was, was to do a, comic that felt like episodes that were you just hadn't seen and i feel like so Mm -hmm. far they're nailing that agreed yeah the the whole story does i mean i don't know that they would have ever done a dog episode on deep space nine but at the same time i don't know they did a lot of crazy episodes i mean they had vic you know so you know yeah yeah and you know and i love his involvement here like they get they get all the characters pretty well involved here there wasn't anybody that was really left out you know even Worf is there with the dog and, right um you know he uh he, he even comments that the dog sheds more than Spock yeah. ever did <laughs> and, um you know and then we also get an interesting um kind of little tease kind of connection to i think it was the nth degree yep um, that was Star great Trek next generation episode yeah just really cool callback and so this just yeah really well done i'm 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 very uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to the next issue of this to see where they go and you know who doesn't want more Deep Space Nine? Yep, could not agree more on that. So, well, Casey, that is all the comics we have, uh, and in, I mean it is time to head back to Deep Space Nine. I mean Emissary's Sanctuary, uh, I guess with the courageous. Okay, Casey. So we are back in our series here. Rebels, uh, which is a three-part series uh, in the Deep Space Nine novels. And I'm just going to say this right now. This is probably not going to be the longest segment we've ever done um, when it comes to reviewing a book because, and I think it'll be pretty clear as to why as we get into this. Um, I hate to spoil it right up front, but yeah, um, (laughs) I just wanted people to be aware. So, we're in the second book in this series and um you know the crew is split up into a few different areas uh around this planet and the first is Cisco and O'Brien and Worf and Quark and their role in this story is to try to to get from one side of the planet basically to the other so that they are able to turn off the technology that's making all of these, you know, quote-unquote magical toys work. So therefore, when the Cardassians attack the Tefniks, that they will 
have already started learning how to live without their technology. Um, and oh, by the way, they meet some talking horse things on the way oh, as right. well. So, uh, yeah, this is this is. Uh, what did you think of this? Um. You know, in the last segment, when I said, uh, who doesn't want more Deep Space Nine? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, th- I think in any other setting, some of this could have worked. Um, it's just gone on too long. I, I almost feel like, yeah, these, these, uh, talking horse things, which I mean, sure. Like, I mean, I can, I, I've, I've read fantasy books and I've read a lot of sci fi and, and whatever I did talking animals fine like and and who says that the only intelligent life on a planet has to be humanoid uh but the, the fact that these things kind of just came along I mean it was kind of a deus ex machina like they had a long way to go not much food left hey there's these horse things here let's go see let's go ride them oh they talk let's ask their permission they grant us permission great we got where we needed to go it was just this it was um it was filler. I, I don't know. It, it, the I had enough of this whole story with Cisco and the crew and these Tifnakis that they're trying to teach to be to work without tech. Um, in the previous book, it, you know, they I thought I thought the, the the first book did a lot better with this part of the story than this one did. I just every time I got to to this part, I just I didn't care. Um, I and I kind of forgot even why they were doing what they were doing. I kind of forgot the the whole plot of turning off the whatever the Cardassians are doing yeah. to block all the tech. So it, it just it, it kind of drawn on too long, and um, it just could have done without it. This book, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, I, I think that it does feel like. This story seems to be throwing everything in the kitchen sink into it. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that we all of a sudden now have talking animals and I, you know, I know they start to begin to explain a little bit or theorize a little bit, you know, Jadzia and and Julian talk about that somewhat. Um, but it it never really comes together in a way that, of course, makes any sense. And And most of the story is not making a lot of sense. Um, there's very few ways in which they're actually starting to connect things, um, which is, uh, you know, frustrating, I think, as well, uh, because the the Dax and Julian story I found to be almost utterly useless and so dumb because it's connected with what's happening on the Defiant. And yeah. are you legitimately telling me that Jadzia Dax is not smart enough to realize that the best solution to this problem is not to use a shuttle craft to try and get to the surface, but to just slowly ascend the Defiant itself? Like, it was... I, I The... The biggest issue with both of these storylines is that they are just so utterly dumb and they make the people in them really dumb. Um, and it's it's a very frustrating thing 
because, you know, these characters aren't dumb. They're not supposed to be <laughs> with, you know, they are on the show. And so I was, I, I was just, you know, when you said you didn't care about the story with Cisco and, and, you know, uh, the crew he's with, this is the part of the story that I just, I mean, when we started to meet sea monsters too, I was like, you know what? I'm done. Oh, and then we didn't even finish that story <laughs> of the Defiant getting to uh, the surface in the mouth of the sea monster who is now helping them because they can communicate. Um, so what we have here is no failures to communicate, apparently. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. communicating with everybody. <laughs> There's communication yeah. all over the place everywhere <laughs> like even the tongues inside this sea monster are communicating with them yeah it's uh i mean yeah just when you thought it couldn't get any crazier i mean some of this stuff um you know i, I wrote down that that some of the the plot elements in this book were very comic booky you know like we were saying when we were talking about the comic books like sometimes you know, a comic book has to be kind of over the top. I, I don't want that in my novels. Like, mm -hmm, you know, with right. the sea monster, and, and sure, there's, you know, as as uh, Qui-Gon Jinn says, there's always a bigger fish, you know. But, I, you know, to think, like you said, to think that Jadzia would be so dumb to think that, you know, taking a runabout would be better than just taking the Defiant itself, which they end up doing anyway, um, you know, literally by the end of this book, Dax and Julian's um whole escapades this entire book are completely moot because they could have taken a shuttle from that point. Right. You know, from yep. whatever, seventy meters below or you know, whatever it was. Or they could have um, just scuba'd from seventy meters. Like well, seriously, actually, come on. Yeah, even better. Yeah. And so uh, you know, and and then and to think that that was the best way to hide from the Cardassians that are in orbit, rather than just being on the other side of the planet like they always do, and um, and and the way that Jedzia was written, and really the way all of the characters were written, uh, really made it feel like. And I think I said this the last, you know, when we talked about the first book in the series, is it, it feels like these books were written. Uh, before the show ever aired, like just based on character profiles in like the sh the show Bible or something, uh, because mm -hmm. even Dax herself, um, not only is she written to be kind of dumb, but she's like so scared all the time, and like Julian's having to like comfort her and right. everything. It was just so not who she was. Like on the show, she was so strong in the show, and and yeah, maybe she'd get scared, but like so would anybody. But she's like hugging her knees, you know, almost in a fetal position, kind of scared about some stuff. And just, it just, you know, once again, I just, I felt like I was reading something that, you know, maybe this author wrote it for something else and just shoehorned it into it, the Star Trek Deep Space Nine characters or something. It was, it was just weird reading it because it just didn't fit with what I knew. And there was so there was kind of so much to forgive and really both of these, you know, the Cisco story and the Dax and the defiant or Dax and Julian and then the defiant storylines that it's just like, there's, there's kind of too much to forgive. Like I just can't, like I can't just put some of these things aside and enjoy it. It was just yeah. very tough to get through these parts. No, I, I don't think that you're being too harsh. You know, I, I think that it is quite unfortunate that, 
the the storylines here just seem so i would say kind of insane um mm. and 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 again i think the biggest part is that they just don't really fit um they don't really make a lot of sense and you know even even i mean i, I think that jadzia and Julian's best part of the story here is the fact that they they're theorizing about this planet in the first place. How mm-hmm. are all these people like that? I mean, how did all this stuff get here? And 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 that's the only thing. It's like okay, they're thinking that maybe they were left here, or there's genetic engineering going on, or you know, there's there's all this type of stuff that they're they're asking these questions. And I think all of that is is. You know, it's like, okay, finally, we're trying to figure out what's going on here. But it just, I, I think the problem is, is that it just doesn't really work. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, unfortunately, I think it, it's just that the whole book just, I don't know. I don't, I, I, it's hard to even describe, and I think in all honesty, as to what, is going on here, right? Mm-hmm. Um and so um and 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 on top of that, um we have an orb experience with Kai Wynn because there's that whole story going on in Deep Space Nine as they're being attacked by these unknown aliens. And the problem I I think of about that is is that one um, you know, we know from the series, unfortunately, that Kai Wynn's never had any experience with the prophets like this. The the orbs have never spoken to her. So this re- butts up against that, which is is definitely um, frustrating, kind of hurts the storyline. Um, and two, we finally get the connection as to how that storyline that's going on and the storyline on the planet that we're on connect and it's the person that Kai Wen as a sister during the occupation belonged to the Cardassian she belonged to is the same person that is here on this planet and one of the Cardassians there okay <laughs> Yeah, I I kind of saw that one coming a mile away. The fact that that's I, I figured the Cardassians on this planet with the Defiant crew had to be connected to the Cardassians in her past somehow. Um, and you know, yeah, the orb experience is something that's one of those things I can kind of forgive if the book was written before it was announced on the show that she'd never had that experience. And I don't remember exactly. Except I think these books came out around the time the series was ending, so whenever that happened on the show, they could have gone back and taken that scene out, because I don't think it really did anything for this for this story. Right. Um, you know, the I guess I what I thought the promise of these books was going to be, uh, you know, when we started reading them, was getting more background about Kai Wen, who she was. Right. Um you know the the first book even the the whole the whole premise of it was that 
Starfleet is trying to kind of test the Bajorans to see if they're going to be able to run the former Deep Space Nine, now Emissary's Sanctuary, uh, on their own without Starfleet's help or without as much aid from the Federation as they've been getting up to this point. Uh, This book really didn't address that at all, except for the fact that the station is still under attack by these unknown aliens. Um, And I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. Like I, I'm interested in the story. Like Kira's story would be interesting to see how she's dealing with this, except for the fact that her relationship with the Kai is way less um, uh, combative than it was in the show. Like she never liked Win on the show, but in here she's referring to her as my Kai and mm-hmm. just kind of following orders. And maybe sometimes she has the thought about, you know, Oh, the Kai doesn't know what she's doing or whatever, but ultimately it almost seems like Kira is kind of on, on board with the Kai now. And it, you know, Kai Wynn doesn't seem like the evil person that we right. know her to be. And what I wanted as, as I read more of the, her past, like the 30 years ago story, like during the occupation, that was the story that I wanted more of. That was the one that was kind of interesting in some ways, seeing what she had to deal with during the occupation. Um, I Not in so much the way that I wanted to have her have this like kind of tragic story, like background right. to where we like kind of sympathize with her uh, by the end, but something at least to kind of show how Wynn became the Wynn that we knew. Yes. And maybe we get more of that in the third book. I'm not holding my breath for it. Um, and I hope that we don't just, now that we've got that connection with the goal that she belonged to during the occupation uh, on this planet, I hope we don't just give up this right. past storyline. I, I hope we continue with that and can connect it more. But I don't know. I <laughs> Like I said, I'm not holding my breath for that, but... I, there's just so much potential for this story. Like it could have gone in so many different ways. And I just feel like mm-hmm. the way that it went, it's not even suffering from middle book yep. syndrome, you know, like kind of the middle chapters. It's just, I don't know. Like it's like they took one book and they wanted to split right. it into three. Yep. I think we said that last time too. Yeah. I mean, it's so clear that this story had no reason to be three books. It could have easily be edited into one um you know this isn't a long book and unfortunately it's not a book that made me care about the story anymore which was so disappointing because one of the things i was hoping for was that this would actually be a book that would bring that more into focus, you know, bring the story more into focus and bring, you know, my enjoyment then of it into focus in a way that would make me excited to read the the final book. Um and, you know, because of the conversation so far, Casey, I'm I am fascinated to see, you know, where you are going to be with the ratings for the courageous, which I don't really feel like can I just say that I don't really feel like anybody was actually courageous in this book. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The title maybe was just trying to play on 
the other titles. Cause I think the next one's called the liberated and maybe, maybe we'll see some liberation there. Uh, I hope. Um, yeah, this one. So I gave it a two on Goodreads and I, I don't want to be harsh, but I, I'm, it's not a strong two. <laughs> it's, uh, if I could give half stars on, on Goodreads, I'd probably give it a one and a half. I don't, I don't think it was so, well, it was pretty bad. <laughs> I'll say that. I, I was really trying to decide if to, to give it a one or, or a two, but, um, uh, and I, I think it was just enough to go with the two instead of a one, just because of her, the flashback story with Kai Wen, just because there was something interesting there. You could see her during the occupation as a rebel, as a, a resistance fighter, basically, and seeing how she had to think quick on her feet. Um, I would want a whole book of that over anything else that we got in this book. And, um, yeah, so I I'll, I'll stick with one and a half, but on Goodreads it's a two. Um, but yeah, I I've got a I this is one of the occasions where I didn't look at your rating before we uh, started, so I've got I I've I've got to hear what you have to say. So uh, you know, I think when we do this, um, you know, there's there's never a reason for me to want to be mean or cruel or anything about uh, a book. Um, but I, I do legitimately believe this to be just one of the worst books I've ever read. Uh, it's it's so unevenly paced. Um, it's so all over the place. Even the storyline with Kai Wen is so pedestrianly done. Um, there's just not a lot interesting going on there. And it almost just feels like we're writing things on a piece of paper to write things on a piece of paper without really any forethought um, as to trying to create uh, a truly cohesive and interesting narrative. And so for me, yeah, this is a clear one-star book, which I am reticent to give anything that type of rating, but this is unfortunately at the point where, yeah, we are going to finish the series, um, but it's because we started it. Um, and, you know, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe uh, s- somehow, um, yeah, we're, we're able to, to make it through. I don't know, Casey. Um, but yeah, this is, yeah. This is unfortunately um, not the best of Deep Space Nine. Well... We've we've committed to finish what we're starting, but we we don't have to do that right away. We can do other things, and um, I'm I'm looking forward to reading other things. And you know, like we said before, probably for the first book in this series, we had some really good comics to read. So it's it's not a total loss this time. And you know, I mean, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll go into that future, and we'll we'll see what we regret in the past. Yeah, I'm a you know I'm glad we'll be uh, finishing off the Voyager series, and then we'll have the new book coming out by uh, Dayton Ward, uh, and we've got that. So I mean that'll be uh, interesting to do. Um, but uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have the the Voyager book, then we'll have the Deep Space Nine book, and then we've got uh, Dayton coming in, which is pretty exciting. Um, so. Yeah, if, um, I'm excited for, for what we do have coming up next. So, But Casey, if uh, people wanted to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, uh, definitely, where would they find you? 
Well, a really good place to see what I'm reading is uh, on Goodreads, uh, and I'm also on uh, Letterboxd, both at Knitting Trekkie. Not really active anywhere else except for the Babel Conference. I do like looking in there from time to time, see what people are saying, seeing what people are reading. Uh, so, yeah, definitely uh, reach out there. Um, and Matthew, when you're not uh, holding your breath for however long it takes uh, as you try not to get the bends coming out of the water, where can people find you? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, you could find me all over the place uh, under the moniker MattRushing02, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, and Vero are uh, the places to find me the most. Uh, you can also find me uh, here on the network uh, doing a bunch of other shows. One is the 602 Club, where we talk about all of those fandoms outside of Star Trek, as there's so much there for us to love uh, and want to talk about. So I hope you'll check that out. Uh, of course, you can also find me uh, on Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise. We go through the 20th anniversary rewatch. Um, we've got the Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine and the 30th anniversary rewatch there. Of course, Star Trek Picard just wrapped up. Chris Jones and I uh, talked all about that on the Artificial Tango, so hopefully people will check that out. And we talked about this. Saddle Up is coming back because... Strange New World is coming back in June, so you'll want to check that as well. Over on the Nerd Party Network, I've got two shows. One is called Owl Post. I did that with Dre Kaufman, talking about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And last but not least, doing aggressive negotiations with the great John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. But, as always, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.